Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Are you ready for this? I'm pumped, jacked. The reason for Prime. we need this is uh, this is Father John and Nathan Goble, aka Natty Ice. Natty Snowing Ice. outside. Beautiful day. Boulder, Colorado. Catholic Stuff You Should Know, but uh, this is a special edition because... Nathan Goble has made a little parlay with me before he started this about uh, saying the word exactly. Oh, no. So every time that our friend Nathan says the word exactly on this podcast, he owes me a six-pack of beer. That is not true. I never I never signed on for that. I just, If you've been listening to our podcast, you'll know that many times the cue that another person wants to make a point is by cutting <laughs> off the other person, they say, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Now to my point. Now, now to my point. That's why I rose my hand last time for Mike. I'll just interrupt you. Now, um, my good friend Kevin Berry is back from Ireland, one of my students up here at the University of Colorado, and he said, i got to meet this guy, Nathan Goble, on the podcast. He sounds like the Catholic Zach Galifianakis, and I was like, well, that's an interesting comparison. What do you think about that? I've never seen a movie, I think, with him. The Hangover, Out Cold, I think that's about all I know. Yeah, he he, he hasn't been in any uh, recent EWTN films, right? Oh, right, please, like that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you watch. The uh, yeah. So anyways, so Kevin, good to have you back, and someday you'll get to meet Nathan Goble, and you'll be uh, disturbed, uh, scandalized. Delighted. Delighted. That, that was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Sorry. The, Delighted. Uh, my bad. Your thesaurus <laughs> is off. <laughs> okay, so uh, topic today. Topic today. All right, so um, I'm oh, not going to say uh, the word exactly. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just erasing it from my memory. Okay, uh, okay. so it's, it's difficult to start this topic off. I, eventually, the trajectory that we're heading is Kenosa. Canosa. We want to end up at the town of Canosa. But to is kind of a, is that a card game? No. Yeah, Canasta. Canasta, my bad. Sorry. Um the uh the 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 kind of teaser for this is how do we end up in the modern state with uh the separation between the church and state? America, we kind of pride ourselves as being a nation under God and in a way uh, a nation that governs itself uh, without religious influence. Right. Um, and so I think it's interesting right now, at least, you know, imagine this. Currently, right now, the Diocese of Denver is without a bishop. The In times past, the landowner or the the duke, the prince, the, the king of the, the local land... The man would appoint the bishop for his particular land. Right. Um, so what if Barack Obama, our president, appointed all the bishops for the United States? There was a vacancy. He appointed it. It's we a, couldn't We couldn't fathom that. Yeah, that's a scary thought. That's beyond, that's beyond our comprehension. Right. Well, the um, uh, in – yeah, so I'm like – Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm told, Go ahead. I, <laughs> you know – I think I soked in the hot tub too long because I think five I, hour I, did you have? <laughs> I fried some digits. So, um, so if he if he appointed, we couldn't fathom that. Currently, we're waiting for the Pope to appoint right. the, the bishop because right. we're comfortable with the idea that from the Vatican, from Rome, we get an announcement. You know, Chuck Perko from <laughs> from the Diocese of Scranton is coming to the Diocese I was thinking of Denver. Bob Nadarsky, Bishop Bob Nadarsky, <laughs> Bishop Bob Nadarsky. That's uh, Nathan's dad's boss. That's right. In back in uh, Mount Zion, Illinois. So, um. So we can't imagine that. We have a separation of church and state. So 
We're going to take a little time machine back to the time of uh, the 11th century. So we're in the time of Pope Gregory VII, also known as Hildebrand. Hildebrand. Apparently, a lot of people know about Hildebrandian uh, church politics, which is the church that kind of formed after Hildebrand uh, came to power, Gregory VII. He got into a confrontation with the emperor at the time, the king, who was Henry IV. Henry IV. So This is like uh, Holy Roman Empire? Yeah, okay. but he was German, okay. which I always think is interesting that the Holy Roman Empire is ruled by a German, but there were Frenchmen and Italians right. that all kind of... But a lot of times there was families who were uh, predominant in power and would pass the emperorship on to one another, and uh, Henry IV came to power, and there was there was a scandal that occurred where uh, there's this concept of lay investiture. So um, let's just define that concept right now. Do you have any thoughts? Nope. I'm happy we're talking about this t- topic, though, because in my long list of possible Catholic stuff podcasts, lay investiture controversy was one of them, but I'm happy we're, Sweet. we're going there. Yeah. Um, Check it off. Lay, well, you might want to go a little <laughs> deeper into lay investiture because we're just going to skim over it with our water skis. But um, the... Uh, the, the concept is, at the time of when it was all land-based, it was a land-based economy, um, people would uh, have, have land, and they would have people work that land, and at some point, the people for their land would need a priest or a bishop, and so lay investiture was the, uh, what, the procedure by which the, the local prince or you know, king would hand over the instruments of the office to the bishop, namely his crozier, which is his staff, that crooked shepherd-looking thing that the the bishop carries around, and his ring, the symbols of power he would give to him, and he would say, receive your land, receive the land, receive the church. So, but then after that, the bishops would gather, and then they would actually consecrate the the bishop. Newly ordained. So... um First question, how long had that been going on for by the 11th century? Is this something that came about with Charlemagne um, and kind of the move to the Holy Roman Empire, or was this something that goes back even further than that? Uh, beyond my scope of knowledge, <laughs> um, none of you people know that it's beyond my scope of knowledge, so I'll say yes. Okay, that's on the third page of Wikipedia, so you might not have got that. <laughs> I'm just joking. So, so then, I would say yeah. I mean, the... The, the the one quote that I read from Charlemagne regarding the lay investiture and the kind of the, the dynamic that occurred between secular power and uh, ecclesial power was the Pope's duty is to pray, the the king's duty is to govern. Right. So um so my guess it's been it's it wasn't a f- you know a new fashion, but at some point the the Pope Gregory the seventh. Uh, in this time, said we really need to have the uh, the bishops appointed by the church and not by the the local uh, landowner because it would get into it, it all had to do with money and property and um, people would be passing on uh, bishop what are called bishoprics um, to other people and and it it seemed that the church wanted to just reclaim the the duty of appointing the bishops. Right. Now it's easy to, I think to look back at this and be like, Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. How could this be possible? But the bishops, 
I mean, we're coming out of the Dark Ages and the collapse of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, the church is is rebuilding the civilization uh, spiritually primarily, but also on a temporal level, the bishops were um, pretty big stakeholders in the kind of the politics and the economics of yeah. this world. So, I mean, the the interaction that they had would have been so different um, in this kind of Christian, early Christian empire um, that we later call Christendom. But at the same sense, it's bad. We've talked about this before with all the Vatican City stuff as well. So, exactly. That was my Yes. <laughs> yes, John. Go ahead. Um, so so then uh, by taking the power back, they're trying and, – and, and so they're, they're inevitably what this what this amounts to we're gonna have to deal with lay investiture at another time because I don't want to get lost in that forest and not be able to find my Hansel and Gretel crumbs back to where <laughs> I was looking to go in the first place. That's that story is so terror is scary, man. Have we ever talked about this before? I, was I don't re- think it's a Catholic story. <laughs> I but. was reading it to kids one day and doing a totus to us this kind of summer camp, and I got to the end and I forgot how it ended. And they were just like, "Oh my gosh, they put her in the oven!" And it was like the end. Oh, that's right. Isn't that the same story? Uh, yeah, she was gonna eat them. Yeah crazy but she had a house made of candy that was that was always delightful to me <laughs> um so uh yes so hansel and gretel we're moving back following the crumbs we get we get to these two powers we get to the two powers the pope and the emperor the priest and the king right. the the priest pope gregory the seventh says to the king i will appoint the next archbishop of milan don't do it and the king, the emperor, under pressure from uh, some of the local bishops who wanted him to probably pressured him to appoint somebody they would want. Right. Um, they kind of said, nah, just do it. You're the emperor. So the, the, the pope finds out that the emperor had actually appointed somebody to, the, the, to Milan. And he's like, all right, that's it. Last straw. And so in a move of unprecedented... Power, and many people didn't believe that the Pope actually had this authority. He deposes the king Whoa. and excommunicates him. Henry the Fourth. Henry the Fourth. Whoa. So, I mean, we could not fathom this because we can we can imagine. We hear a lot of times that you know pol- Catholic politicians who are you know doing uh, voting for measures that are blatantly against church teaching. Many people call that the the, the local bishop should excommunicate them. Well. They say excommunicate them, but they would never say the local bishop should excommunicate them and depose and remove them from office. Yeah, precisely, John. <laughs> well said. So, um, so the we 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 couldn't even imagine this, and and many people were like, I don't think the pope has the authority to do that, and I think the king was saying, Yeah, I don't think the pope has the authority to do that. So, the, the, there's the, they're caught in this tension of. Okay, now you've been deposed, and the, the possibility is that the the Pope could appoint someone else. And here's the here's the crazy thing. I hope you people are able to follow this. I can't even follow my own train of thought. I love it. You people, probably the most condescending possible. You, you people. people. I hope you people can follow this. I always call them listener land. So listener land. Okay, go ahead. The audience. The yeah. audience. The audience. Um. So, uh, gosh. I really got to keep track of these Hansel and Gretel crumbs. <laughs> so, so don't go to the candy house. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So let, let's just let's just understand that at the time when the Pope would um, would install a king, it was called a coronation. Okay, 
we understand that. We've seen we've all seen Lord of the Rings and right. Macbeth or whatever other king stories there are where he puts the crown right. on the on the uh the king's head. But here's here's a here's a kind of crazy thing. They would anoint the king. The reason being is because he had not only a temporal mission to govern, but he also had a spiritual mission because he was the he was supposed to this was this was Christendom. This was the land of Christ. Right. He was supposed to be governing in such a way, ruling well, so that the people could flourish. And uh, we understand somewhat feebly from our Old Testament studies that when you talk about the Lord's anointed one, you don't just unanoint somebody. And even even when the Spirit of God who r- rushed upon um, Saul, uh, David, when when it leaves him. When it leaves Saul, uh, David, even though he was the worthy king, he doesn't go and, you know, kill Saul because he's the Lord's anointed. So now we're getting to a place where the the Pope has deposed an emperor and withdrawn his temporal power and excommunicated him and withdrawn his, you know, spiritual grace. I bet Henry loved that. Yeah, yeah probably not. Uh, yeah. So he's caught. He's caught. What do you do? So this we've arrived. We've arrived at Canosa. Canasta. Canasta. Canosa. 301 or whatever. Where's Canosa? Canosa is high in the Italian Alps mm. on the border between, I think Italy borders Germany. But um, It's all weird up there. <laughs> so, um, so, okay. The princes and the bishops who had been very supportive of Henry V all of a sudden say, um, I think you've... I think you need to say you're sorry, uh, because the 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 emperor was angry at the Gregory, and Gregory was mad at him, and they weren't saying anything, and so the the bishops and priests or uh, princes withdraw their support from Henry. Gregory is going into Germany, I believe, to uh, anoint the new king. He had chosen a, a successor, Rudolf. Rudolf, and uh, so. Henry's like, well, uh, I'm kind of in a tight spot. So he goes, crosses the Alps. This is in the middle of winter, you know. There's no, like, you know. Light rail. Tour bus or something. He crosses the Alps. The Pope hears that he's coming, and he thinks, dude, this guy might come to kill me. So he withdraws into the Fortress of Canosa. (laughs) I think it's such a sweet name. The Candy Fortress. (laughs) The Candy Fortress. Candy Mountain. Charlie. No. No. Sorry. Sorry. Um. So so he locks himself in this fortress. Henry comes, and he's not beating on the door and saying, I'm the emperor, you know? Like, imagine this. This is the emperor. This isn't like the, the, the king-elect of Kazakhstan or something. Like, this is the emperor of the, the Holy Roman Empire of the West. And he's coming to this fortress, not with his armies, but as a penitent. So he comes before the before the Pope, he's banging on the door, he stands outside in the snow for three days in a hair shirt, in penitential garb, cruciform, begging for forgiveness. Luckily, on the inside of the fortress, just happens to be in the Pope's entourage, Henry's godfather, uh, the abbot Hugh of Cluny, which we should probably do a podcast yeah. on the... Uh, Cluniac reform, right? Just because it sounds intriguing, it and, and I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so, 
So he comes, he's banging on the door. I mean, what does the Pope do? He, he has authority, but in the end, what is the Pope? Spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. He's a priest. Right. And he receives, he receives Henry finally after three days. Henry uh, kneels before him, uh, prostrates himself before him, and the Pope uh, confesses him, forgives him of his sin, and receives him back to communion. But what has that done? Right. It restores him back to temporal power, but the effect of it is there was a time in which the king was responsible by his anointing to God, and now there's kind of a manager, right. and that's the pope. Right. And so what has that done to the the authority of the king? Well, it makes him kind of a you know president. You deal with the, the local matters, you know, civil authority. And leave the spiritual stuff to us. Well, this that this the reason why I say this is I think it's interesting because the there was a historian that I was researching. This is all because I wrote a paper for Father Frank's class, so don't think that I would you know I spend my time you know <laughs> going through Hildebrandian documents or something. The Dictatus Pape. just for fun. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, Hansel and Gretel, take me back. <laughs> Whenever there's a verbal pause, you're like, "Candy, Candy Mountain." The uh, no, this is Basic, actually, the, this is precisely John. Keep moving, keep moving. <laughs> so keep moving. I'm, I'm doing it. You're doing so good. The, the his, this historian, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is he says it's the first, it's the first revolution in power that begins the full separation between spiritual uh, power and temporal power. power. And leads to the evolution and the creation of the modern state as we know it, the secular state, where we have Barak, which means in Hebrew. Blessed. Thank you, Father blessed. Mike. Father Mike's here. Uh, he's blessed. So you know when you pray when you pray for when you pray for our president, just remember his name is Barak, blessed Baruch. So pray that he be blessed, that he would convert, be a good man of God, that he would rule well as the king should. Um, and he says it's the first of six revolutions. These these are in order. The revolution between Gregory and Henry, leading eventually to the Protestant reform. Okay. We remember King Henry VIII was considered the, the spiritual authority in in England. Still he, is. The queen is still the spiritual authority. Really? The head, yep. The head of the Anglican Church. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, he wrote books of theology. But then at some point, he kind of said, well, if I'm the, if I'm the head of the church— and you say that I can't do what I want, then I'll just form my own church and be the head of that church. Um, so he separates himself from that. Then that leads to the English Revolution, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, and the Russian Revolution. Who would have thought that uh, an insignificant meeting... One game of canasta. One game of canasta. But, I mean, could you could you imagine if we returned to where the the authorities of our nation, the authorities of our government, the authorities of the world were accountable to God, which they are. I mean, they're supposed to rule well. But if they if they actually ruled in union with the church. Um, and so in the end, uh, it, was, it really was considered by many a victory for um, Henry because he continues as the temporal authority. Oh, so he continues, he's reinstated. He's reinstated, wow. he, he goes on. Now, the, the bishop appoints the bishops, the, the Pope appoints the bishops now, but um, 
there's there's a true separation that begins there. And I think what's interesting in it is like um, it shows that the temporal power is not the greatest of powers in the world. And it's not to say that the church should take on temporal power. We would never claim that. But it shows that the, there is something greater. It holds it in check. Otherwise, it just becomes kind of this um, temporal power game and everything. And that's kind of the world that we live in now where politics mm-hmm. just kind of rules the world, so to speak, on an international level. And you got all these guys uh, just kind of playing it out to see who can be the most powerful. But mm-hmm. there's no spiritual authority that kind of holds that in check and says you're not the greatest. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you mess up, there is a time where you'll have to do penance. You're accountable in some way to the greater authority and we've yeah. lost that yeah i mean we're, we're trying to ask them the, the the priests and the or we're actually we're asking the representatives the world leaders to rule in in care of the common good not just for their own good and the um i think it's always fascinating when you see the the pope who is the head of the the state of the vatican i mean the remnant of the papal states which is really the the where where you have the intersection between the pope ruling temporally and uh, spiritually, but when the Pope goes before the world leaders of the nation, and, I mean, he it sounds like he's preaching a homily to them, mm-hmm. but he's really just calling them to rule as as Christ would rule, Cause, and, and this is a beautiful thing. Christ is priest, prophet, and king. He does have the spiritual authority, but he is Christ the king, and his, his kingdom is not of this world, and yet... Uh, the, the the prince of this world, as we talked about in the last podcast, has been cast out, and he reigns. Um, so maybe not, you know, implementing new, you know, water restrictions through your local municipal government. Um, but um, but yeah, our home is not of this of this world, and yet we really pray that that Christ would would rule through these men. And I think we can say that until temporal power is restored under a, a spiritual authority which is not of the world, so to speak, because of the revelation of Christ. Uh, it will always be uh, corrupted. It will always be uh, tempted to evil and to, um, like, like we say, that kind of that uh, difference between the power struggle and then the kind of authentic authority. It will mm-hmm. always be messed up. There will always be wars. There will always be uh, problems. And not to say that there wasn't in you know the 11th century, uh, but we've lost something uh, that's very, very important. But as well, there was a restoration that happened. There has to be that separation, and the church had to be purged of uh, temporal power, as we always come back to. Yeah. This is very interesting. I knew nothing about this before. I kind of breezed over it in Father Frank's class, History. Which history? Church History 1. Church History 1. About to start Church History 2 tomorrow. Bam statement. That's right. You know, if Nathan seems a little timid, a little shy today, it's, he just came off a week-long silent retreat. So he's kind of recovering back to the world of noise uh, in a very different way. So it's good yeah. to have you back. Good to have you off retreat. I'm St- happy it was good. Stammering. Stammering. And uh, Hopefully but- we put the witch in the oven, close the door, Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> Shut her down. The end. The end. That's it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Laters. <laughs>